Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast. Over and out. So, wait, you don't actually sound British. I thought you were British. No, I live in the UK, but I'm from America. Oh, okay. What brought you to the UK? Uh, I guess actually, does your audience probably all knows this, so it's like boring to them. No, it's cool. It's all good. We can talk about whatever we want. Um, I got a job offer here as an academic. Um, and you know, academia is like very competitive. So it, when I finish my PhD, it's sort of like if you get a ten-year track job offer anywhere, you just kind of take it. You're lucky that you consider yourself lucky to have it, and you'll go wherever for it. So moved here for the job five years ago. Gotcha. Oh, I guess I should move so people can see me better. Also, um, whatever you want. Sorry, everyone, for the just starting out with like lots of troubleshooting. I'm sure that's annoying. Nah, they're cool. My audience Good. is my audience. My audience is patient. They're cool uh, because a lot of my live streams are just me talking, like at length, <laughs> uh, with lots of uh, long, with lots of long pauses we- and awkward stuff. So the people that are most of the people that are watching this are totally cool with. Uh, you know, us being how we are and, and all kinds of hangups. It's, it's how life goes. It's fine. I like that thick land suggests uh, for, okay. For one thing, thick land is an amazing screen name. Then I also <laughs> like that they're suggesting that you should take Adderall for better acceleration. <laughs> it would definitely help me accelerate for sure. Um, I go fast. Yeah, I could, I, I, I could definitely do a live stream soon folks where I do um, a little bit of Adderall and maybe smoke weed at the same time. I like that combination. I think that's a good one. Um, and I could def- I could just talk your ear off for like three hours straight. I could definitely Wait, it do doesn't... What, what does the combination of weed and Adderall feel like? Um, I describe it as you get that little like creativity boost that you get from cannabis. Um, at least mm. that, I get, that I get from cannabis. But the Adderall helps you actually like finish your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, indica? Or do you prefer Indica or Sativa? I forget which is the the head high one, sativa. So that's, that's your preference. That's the one I like. I like my head going all crazy. The body high is nice. Mm. The body high is definitely nice sometimes, like for going to sleep and stuff like that. But if I have to choose, I want like the crazy, the crazy uh, psychoactive thought processes. Are you saying that your head isn't crazy by default? Because I think a lot of people would contest that. Yeah, probably. Maybe it is, but I like that. Uh, so I like even more of it. I guess I find it fun. What about you? What's your favorite? Um, I'm not that experienced of a cannabis user. So, um, man, the word cannabis sounds incredibly dorky, but I feel like the word weed also sounds dorky. Yeah. Please in the, in the chat, suggest a not dorky sounding way to talk about doing marijuana, which also sounds dorky. So it can't be any of those. You, I need an alternative. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I guess I like hybrids, but I don't really have a strong preference either way. Right. Right. Yeah. Hybrids are good. That's true. Um, I like, like where it's legal and where are you based by the way? I'm in the California, the California I'm in California. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause it's legal there. I was in, I was in San Francisco recently and I did the, for the first time ever, I did the whole, like go to the legal pot store thing. 
and it's so awesome. It's you're so lucky. Yeah, and well, and it's such a bougie shopping experience. Also, it's like <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like going to a fancy cafe or something. I know. Yeah, it's very hipster. Like the one I went to, it was like nice, sexy wallpapers, and it was all like the people who worked there were like good-looking young adults with tattoos, and it was very yeah, it was very like pop, like hipster. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's it's like a concierge experience for anyone who is not in California and hasn't experienced this. What happens is that you come in, they like do the whole scanning your ID thing where you go into their like CRM or I don't know, it's it's some compliance thing. Uh, and then there's like counters all around and um, sometimes shelves for edibles, but you can go just like check out everything and they'll give you recommendations. It's like, uh, it's like going to a fancy restaurant and they tell you uh, what kind of wine you should get. It's the same thing, but for weed. Yeah. Although, so there, I mean, there is an interesting like class struggle argument here that I'm actually pretty sympathetic to that before legalization, you had all these like small scale entrepreneurs, usually from underprivileged backgrounds who were pot dealers. Um, and now that you have this, uh, you have this, um, legalized commercial environment that really shuts out a lot of those people who were trying to make a living on something that should have been decriminalized all along, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh-huh. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm telling Twitter that we're discussing drugs. What else should I tell them? Oh, you're, to entice them? you're very good at this. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want an audience. Give me the attention. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Any any little like uh, tweeting, periodic tweeting you you want to do throughout this is it's definitely welcome. Um, so far it's drugs, and then we can talk about whatever you want next. I mean, I uh, so yeah, it's kind of a theme of this little live stream I've been doing that. It's basically I just any interesting people on the internet, I just kind of like shoot them a message and see if they're crazy enough to want to like talk with a stranger. And um, you struck me as you know someone who's just very independently minded and you seem very open. I, I had that crazy. We'll talk to a stranger vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of basically. Um, I mean, I, I have a pretty good radar, I think for people who are just like open-minded and who are probably likely going to be down to chat with, with a stranger. Like I can kind of tell when someone is just really interested in ideas and themselves are, are probably a little like quirky or a little off the, off the map in terms of like where, where they fall and what they think about. And people like that tend to be very open to, you know, invitations to talk because, mm -hmm. you know, if, if they don't fit in, like for people who don't fit into like easy, easily pigeonholed kind of like ideological profiles or whatever, um, people are usually like more than happy to have conversations with people that are interested in them. So I, I think I have a pretty good radar for that type of person. Did I, did I, did I pin you down correctly at all in that sense? I feel like that's pretty accurate. Um, I did get semi-distracted midway through what you were saying by the entreaty to explain Pink Pill. Uh, oh, yeah. Are so, you familiar with Pink Pill? Or has this come up before on the whatever the hell this is podcast? Yeah, no, so this is great. Uh, before you got on, I asked the audience for if anyone had any questions or things they really wanted us to talk about. And uh, probably the main, the most frequently requested thing so far was to ask you to tell everyone about what is the pink pill and yeah. Could you just go into more depth on what that is? And, and I, I, am like not I, I literally don't know anything about what it even refers to. So I'm totally virgin. Oh no. Okay. Female red pillars is wrong. Um, that's not what it is. Pink pills started out. Um, and like huge apologies to my friends who are actually pink pill people, because I'm probably going to get some of the nuances wrong here. So, uh, okay. 
Pinkville started out as a kind of quasi-ironic, edgy, right-winger, forced feminization fetish. So mm. the idea is that uh, you take the pink pill, it could be like estrogen, or I guess estriadol is what you actually take. Um, but basically the idea is, is forced feminization. But then you have a lot of trans people, some of whom identify as traps rather than identifying as trans. Um, you can make a pretty strong argument that... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm gonna try. Uh, sorry, someone in the someone in the chat said, "Don't fuck it up," and I'm I'm doing my best. Um, yeah, you have to keep in mind the the chat can be very distracting. So when you're okay, maybe I, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to articulate something. I won't look at it. Yeah, that's a good all thing. Right. Just look at the camera for as long as you want to make a point, and don't hesitate to talk as long as you want, and only look back at the chat when you're when you're when you said your bit. You know. Yeah. Fuck you, commenters. Yeah. Don't um, let them hold you back. Okay. So. I was talking about the forced feminization. I was talking about sort of trap gender identity. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not, it's uh, as with anything that is sort of 4chan or channer diaspora, it can be hard to tell which people are just being like edgelords or which people are playing with ideas in a sort of trollish way, which people sincerely espouse them. I'm sure you're all familiar with that. Um, th- I do know that there are people who are fairly sincerely into the pink pill idea. Um, and there, and this also gets into, there, there is some sort of mimetic relationship between the whole like soy boy meme of like, you know, estrogens and everything, it's demasculating everyone, uh, and pink pill, but I think pink pill tends to be kind of more self-aware. There is some crossover. Um, yeah. So do you know, have you ever interacted with Nick's land online? Oh yeah, no, uh, we're, we're friends and I, would really love to meet her in person at some point. I haven't watched your stream with her though, because wasn't it? It was like four hours long. And I yeah, it's ridiculous. Don't have that kind of attention span. Yeah, I really appreciated her stamina. Um, do you? So she's basically pink pill. Is that right? Is no, that no, she is actually maybe like post pink pill. There, there's a within. She might, she might espouse pink pill, but there's sort of a within pink pill schism between the more like sincerely right wing pink pill pink pill people who are not necessarily into the all like into the accelerationism uh, or at least her style of accelerationism. Um, So I, and I think she is perceived by uh, kind of the core pink pill people to be like a little bit too culturally left to really fit in with them. But again, like I'm, I, I feel bad even talking about this because I'm very much like an observer. Like I have friends who are in this subculture. Um, like I'm in a group DM that talks about it pretty frequently, but it's not like my area of expertise, except insofar as like <clears throat> the whole frog Twitter, uh, frog Twitter, like, and associated meme plexes thing is... <laughs> Right. Sorry, I I just uh, looked at the chat again and I saw someone explain fashy daddy, which that's actually much simpler to explain. Um, women like bad boys. That's it. That's there. You have it. So are you are you pink pill or no? Me? Yeah, I mean, I'm a cis woman, so I don't think I really have any standing to be pink pill. I'm not like anti pink pill. Um, so why are people asking? Why are people associating you with pink pill? Like, why did people want to hear you talk about it? Actually, I'm really not sure. Um, can someone explain why? Because <laughs> I don't, I don't think of it as a me thing. Um, I don't know. Thick lands. I think weren't you the one who asked Upthread to 
or at least that was what I saw talking about pink pill. It's also, I mean, it's very possible that these people are just like trolling me and are like, <laughs> it's just possible. think it's funny. Like, it's which possible, is fine. I, I don't mind. No. Yeah. Cool. Well, you're a good sport about it. Appreciate that. I mean, I think, um, no, people probably really wanted to, to hear about it. So, okay. Let's back up then. And let me ask you about what you are kind of more personally interested and focused on. I know you work for Zcash Foundation. Do you want to mm-hmm. maybe just tell us a little bit about what you do right now in your life? Yeah. Like what, what is let your me main? Give you, let me give you my spiel. So I work for the Zcash Foundation, which is a small nonprofit. Um, our mission is financial privacy through technology infrastructure for everyone. So that's kind of what we exist to build. And our current focus, as indicated by the organization's name, is, yes, shilling shitcoins. <laughs> no, Zcash is not a shitcoin, <laughs> first of all. How dare you? No, um, we are we are focused on Zcash, which is a cryptocurrency that is a lot like Bitcoin, but it has uh, this novel cryptography built into it. Um, the keywords here to Google, if you want to learn more, are zero-knowledge proofs and ZK snarks here. I'll type ZK snarks into the chat so that people know how it's spelled. Um, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm still adjusting to the no, chat cool. talking things. It's um, hard. Your your ambition to multitask on all of these different things is uh, impressive and already far surpasses anyone I've had on the show. Before. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm very I'm very flattered to hear that. Uh, so we're focused on Zcash. There is um, a, a kind of frequent misunderstanding here is that there's also the Zcash company. And the Zcash company is a separate for-profit startup. They currently do most of Zcash development and employ many of the cryptocurrencies creators. And part of the reason why the foundation was created was to be a counterbalance of power versus the Zcash company. Um, so that the company wouldn't be able to sort of unilaterally impose its will. And uh, this is not, it's not an adversarial relationship. We actually collaborate a lot in part because the foundation is still really new. We have yet to hire our own dev team, although we're in the process of recruiting and we have a few candidates. Uh, Anyway, so what I do at the foundation is I do marketing. So the blanket term is communications, but it's it's multifunctional in part because there are only three employees right now. So it's marketing, uh, PR kind of stuff, community outreach slash community management. Uh, It's a little bit all over the place, but generally our outward communication, I have a lot to do with. Uh, How is Zcash better than Monero? I'm not really qualified to get into the cryptographical differences, um, but you can Definitely, uh, Ian Myers has written about this and also has, uh, he gave a talk about it at our recent conference. So, yeah. So, so the, the larger mission behind Zcash has to do with uh, making these things kind of more accessible and spreading, the, and spreading them? Or- yes. Uh, so the idea is that you should be able to transact privately without revealing pretty much any information about it. Uh, Oh, so I should add the caveat that currently, um, so there's Zcash has uh, T addresses and Z addresses, transparent addresses and shielded addresses. And currently shielded addresses are not super usable. There's a a technical upgrade coming in October that's going to do a lot to help that. Um, But it is, you know, coming down the line. So I think... uh, you know, if you're like buying drugs on the dark net or something, um, by the way, 
this is not legal advice, but uh, it is a thing you can do. Um, if you're buying drugs on the darknet, Monero is probably more useful right now, both because a lot of different um, darknet markets actually support Monero and not many support Zcash. It may be that in the future they'll switch over. Um, I mean, there are various nonprofits who uh, take Zcash donations and some of them support shielded transactions. But I mean, it's definitely it's really early days for the technology. It was launched in 2016 and the, the cryptography is very robust, but kind of everything around that is still being worked on. Cool. Uh, cool. I, I hope that that answers your sort yeah. of general questions. Yeah, definitely. Now, I, you write a lot on the Internet and, you know, you're very vocal and you seem relatively relaxed and unconstrained in saying what you think. And, and you, you're very. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, is the culture really good at Zcash? Like there's a, a culture of people saying whatever they want. And there's do you ever feel any concern about that or no? No, um, I think it like it. It would be possible to cross a line, um, but none of the things that I personally believe or feel like I really want to say do cross the line. I guess what I'm, you know, if like, if someone were an actual neo-Nazi or something and they were affiliated with the, the Zcash Foundation and talking about that online, they would almost definitely get fired because it would right. undermine our mission. Yeah. Um, but the sort of level of... I don't even know what to call my politics. My my sort of even the fringier elements of my politics are not a big deal. Um, the the I mean, so the cryptocurrency ecosystem in general tends to be pretty friendly to libertarian ideas, which I guess I'm sort of quasi libertarian. Um, and the Zcash Foundation in particular is very, or at least my coworkers are very open minded and like you do you, Sonia. Uh, I mean, so I met my boss through Twitter, maybe like a a couple of years ago and we were just friends. Uh, so he, you know, he knew what he was getting into kind of. Um, yeah, I do tend to be pretty outspoken. Uh, right. And I think there is part of the reason why I'm excited about working for the foundation, why I'm excited about Zcash in particular and cyber coins in general is that I believe in having tools that let you do the things that you want to do outside of state control, because I think that uh, the way the state yields wields its authority is often unjust and oppressive. That's kind of my basic premise. Like uh, some of the hot button issues for me is that I, I pretty much a free speech absolutist. Uh, so like DNS really freaks me out. Most of the internet is relatively like commercial and you can find other options. And then DNS is like the, big centralized point of failure. Also ISPs kind of, it depends that ISPs are more regulated. Uh, so there's free speech, big deal for me. Also kind of cultural free expression. Um, I worry about that less, but it is a concern in the sort of cultures and institutions that I have to be part of and interact with because I mean, I, really, I guess my my ideology is pretty selfishly driven. Like, I kind I want to be able to say whatever I want to say, and um, I really, I really don't like being told that I can't or being told that like uh, entertaining ideas or thinking things through to the end is uh, is bad. Like uh, the Robin Hansen incels clusterfuck is an example here, where he was like playing with extreme ideas, but I mean, not even actually advocating. I don't know the that feel when no state sanctioned GF or whatever. 
Um, going off on a tangent here. So, okay, yeah, I care a lot about free speech, reiterating. Um, I think that it's, I think the war on drugs is ludicrous and that drugs should be completely decriminalized and that any sort of state intervention should be on a harm reduction model. Um, oh, so I, when I was uh, in my late teens, I was an escort. And so, uh, like the, I, I think it's ridiculous that uh, that prostitution is illegal. I think that should be decriminalized also, um, and that you can all the like you can uh, have sex trafficking be illegal without ruling out um, sex work altogether. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, it really drives me crazy how the the normie financial institutions cut off even legal sex workers like cam girls sometimes have a really hard time getting financial services or keeping financial services, especially when it comes to crowdfunding, like PayPal is a nightmare for anyone who does sex work or even like remotely not safe for work stuff. Mm. Uh, And then, I mean, even Patreon, which started out being very sex worker friendly, got pressured by their, uh, by their payment processors who are being pressured by the, the underlying banks uh, and had, and started like kicking off a bunch of people. Who were, oh, are there are there sex workers taking up crypto? Yes, uh, I mean, so adoption by people who aren't like crazy libertarians or huge geeks is still super low, mm-hmm. but sex workers definitely like a higher proportion of sex workers than any other sort of like random um, group of people are doing cryptocurrency. There's a project called Spank Chain that I'm interested in. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I endorse it because I haven't like you know done a technical audit or whatever. I know that they're interested, uh, Spank Chain is interested in integrating zero knowledge proofs. Um, I don't know if they'll actually go forward with that, but I, I think it's cool that they care about privacy, especially since privacy is so critical to cam girls who need to be able to uh, have sort of layers of protection between them and potential stalkers. Like most clients are great. Um, they're like normal, awesome people, but there are also like creepy weirdos who would assault you or like stalk you. Uh, and you want to be able to shield yourself from them. Amazon has recently been doing bullshit with their like wish list settings that makes it harder to conceal your address. Just another, another um, reason why financial privacy is important. Um, right. Yeah. So spank chain looks interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Do you, are you, would you call yourself an anarchist capitalist? Is that kind of your camp or do you not like that? Um, the way that I tend to put it is that like anarcho-capitalism definitely has my heart. It's like the, it's the system or the mm, political ideology that appeals to me most on just like a visceral level. I don't think it's actually practical. Mm. Uh, so I guess I'm sort of, more neoliberal in practice or sort of neoliberal within the current system that we have. But I would say that more the way that I view my politics and to whatever, I don't think you can really call anything I do activism because the things that I do are post complaints online. And then like, I guess I occasionally donate to stuff that I don't think that really counts as activism either. And then I work for I work for a nonprofit, and I guess that's the thing where that I feel like is closest to activism, maybe like sort of crypto anarchist activism, but it's still very debatable. Um, but the way that I view my uh, my place in this sort of political sphere is that pushing things toward freedom, and I don't really need to worry about like what the ideal end state would look like because it's not going to happen. Like I don't think Ancapistan is like any we're nowhere near that. So. 
I can push for more freedom, more individual autonomy, more uh, consensual economic arrangements. But I, I kind of, uh, I guess I kind of punt on the question of like, what would your ideal perfect system look like? Because I'm not, I don't know, I'm pretty anti-utopian. I don't think that actually exists. I guess sure. utopia, like concepts of utopia can be useful because they animate people. Um, but I think any attempt to instantiate utopia kind of goes catastrophically wrong, like mm -hmm. both on the scale of like small communes that often implode because of interpersonal issues. And then you have something like, I, I don't know, insert typical complaints about communism here. Yeah, for sure. So this is actually a natural segue into talking about your recent Jacobite article. Because oh, yeah. In that article, um, you know, I, I took one of the main takeaways to be basically that one of the reasons to be really interested in cryptocurrencies is that because they function as a kind of exit technology uh, that actually has important implications for increasing the bargaining power of groups now. I mean, even before exits are, you know, achieved, the simple fact of exit power changes, you know, the, the, the power equation in the here and now mm -hmm. is, is kind of how one of the takeaways I took from it. Uh, so that seems to be something yeah. you're very interested in it. But maybe it'd be better, actually, maybe I'm jumping the gun. Maybe if you'd like, could you tell us in your own words, like what you were getting at in the in that article? So as a key underpinning concept, uh, do you have a sense of how familiar your audience is with the idea of exit versus voice? Or should I sum that up first? Um, most of my listeners will probably be pretty up on that, but it doesn't hurt to go over the Hirschman distinctions. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so... Roughly speaking, the idea of exit versus voice is that when you're in a coercive or frustrating situation, you have two options. One, you can leave. That's exit. You can leave and do your own thing. Uh, and then the other is voice. And voice could be trying to convince the people in charge to do the thing that you want instead or trying to get a coalition together or um, complaining enough that you're so annoying that people give you your way, etc. Like any sort of expressing your preferences to try and influence other people is voice. So when you're in a state situation, exit is really hard um, because the state owns all the land and controls all the land. So if you want to go do your own thing, you kind of have to like your only option is to fly under the radar. Um, oh, also, for the record, I have a very uh, United States perspective here. So it's possible that some of what I'm saying won't apply as well to other countries for what it's worth. Uh, so if you want to exit state control, you're kind of shit out of luck. Like, what are you, you, you can't like, <laughs> I'm just reciting parts of the essay right now. You can't overthrow the local zoning board. That's not really practical. Um, so, you know, what do you do if you can't exit that? That's a, that's like a kind of horrible situation um, because then you have to resort to voice and voice often does not work very well. Like I think anyone who has tried to participate in politics at any scale will be familiar with this because you can express your preferences all day long. But if you don't have enough sort of strategic power to get other people to go along with what you want, you're out of it. Um, I, suspect, I suspect most of the listeners here are already completely on board with that. Okay, We're, cool. So I, I, I would say everyone here is is already probably 100% post voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, sorry, everyone, for being redundant. But no, anyway. no, it's, it's useful still. Okay, so that's that's kind of the, the foundation of my concept, which is that, okay, in meat space, to use the cringy internet term, exit is kind of not possible. 
What about on the internet? On the internet, the dynamics are very different because instead of having limited land, you have unlimited namespace or kind of effectively unlimited, we're never gonna like run out of character combinations or whatever. Uh, and then you have encryption and encryption really changes the power balance because you can hide things uh, in a way that's very hard for them to be revealed without your will. Like effectively, if you don't hand over your private keys, they would have to like torture them out of you. And, you know, there are, if you are a high profile enough target, um, the, the sort of powers that be might bother doing that. Uh, like Ross Ulbricht is an example. He was the Silk Road guy. But they have to go to a huge amount of effort to find you, for one thing. Like, if you have good OPSEC, um, and he, he had, like, one uh, or, like, a couple of slip-ups in the beginning of his criminal career, his, like, drug kingpin career. And that was what made them able to eventually find them. Theoretically, like, if that hadn't happened, um, and if he had been more careful about not cross-linking his uh, wallet NIM, his, like, real identity with his uh, Dread Pirates Robert identity... The Silk Road could maybe still be up. Um, I think because the the feds put so much energy into that particular project, probably not. But look, like it's so expensive for them to shut down this one guy who's running this marketplace. Mm -hmm. So if you have a dynamic where many, many more people are using, say, um, and I mean, there are like fairly normy examples of this, like using HTTPS on lots and lots of websites makes it much harder to see what you're looking at. Um, you can you can use Signal, and then it's much harder to see what you're texting about. Uh, so I, I see encryption as this way to exit. It's like a layer on top of MeetSpace that lets you to have uh, it lets you have meaningful exit uh, in a way that was not really possible before. Uh, that's kind of my thesis. Um, sorry, I, I feel self conscious. I feel like I'm not explaining it as well as I, I do in writing, but I guess that's that was all right. great. That was perfect. So, I would only add the the part of it that I found kind of most interesting. The upshot that I took away from it was kind of towards the end when you talk about bargaining strategies. So I thought that was really mm -hmm. interesting. Maybe could you would you like to talk about that also now? Yeah. So the idea is that uh, you you can have this sort of idealistic notion where it's like, no, the feds can never get us. Uh, but then or, you know, the like the the second like we don't even need the second amendment anymore because we can 3d print guns i don't think either of those notions are particularly realistic that was uh, the so other most guy... frequently asked question that people wanted you to talk about is second amendment and 3d printed guns so you just check that off the box off the list thank you why do people want... <laughs> i don't understand why people want me to talk about these things but okay i guess thick i do land rant about them sometimes thick land has asked me that i think eight times in this chat so far so uh Sorry to interrupt you, but that, that was one of the things. So feel <laughs> who, free to who is continue. Thick land, is Thick Land anyone I know? You never know with these chats. Who It could be anyone logged in. All right. Uh, oh, I interrupted it's, a, you it's the pseudonymous internet. Um, oh, yeah. What was I talking about? Oh, I was saying that I don't think that the sort of most radical visions are actually particularly realistic. What is useful is sort of raising the, cro the cost threshold of fucking with the populace very high. Um, so actually, the Second Amendment is a pretty good example of this. Um, people tend to say, like, oh, you're never going to be able to go up against the United States military because they have bombs and nukes and, like, a huge army and all this military infrastructure. And I do think to some extent that's, like, I mean, it's obviously very intuitive. Like, it makes intuitive sense. And I do think it is true to some extent. But it's a lot harder to uh, tyrannize. Is tyrannize a word? Sure. 
for this. Okay, Ter stream, for this live terrorize. Stream, yeah. <laughs> terrorize. That is definitely a word. Um, it's a lot harder to terrorize a populace that has a lot of guns because it's going to be um, costly in terms of soldiers. It's, uh, you know, they'll like fuck with your infrastructure and your supply lines. Um, they, uh, there's also like an attitude thing here. And I think um, history has demonstrated again and again that a very motivated militia is very hard to deal with. And you can look at like uh, Afghanistan, say, or um, uh, insurgents in Africa, a lot of whom I think are also terrible, but I think they demonstrate that you can have a, uh, a sort of military imbalance and still asymmetric warfare is effective. Um, even, I mean, even the United States Civil War is an example of this. Like, it's kind of, even though the, the Confederates lost, it's amazing how fucking expensive it was for the United States to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, and the amount of lives lost is just staggering. Um, so when you make that is the sort of the table stakes, it has a deterrent effect. That's kind of my second amendment argument also guns are cool and i i tend to be so biased towards personal liberty that i'm like it seems very wrong to me that people who own guns and are responsible with them and just like have fun shooting stuff in the desert or like at gun ranges i really i i so i personally know people who i both like really trust and i think are like responsible adults who are also big gun people and that actually was a big factor in originally changing my mind about the second amendment because i was like I know gun owners. I know that the sort of stereotypes about this are inaccurate, even though like I don't personally own any guns and I don't think I've ever gone shooting. I do want to eventually. I just kind of haven't gotten around to it. Um, anyway, so yeah. what, I, what I was saying with this long digression about the Second Amendment is that encryption can somewhat act the same way. And I think uh, cryptocurrency can act the same way where because of this of this viable alternative, that would be very, very hard to shut down and very, very expensive to shut down, it limits what the government can sort of unilaterally impose on people. Um, and maybe drugs is a good example here. Like, yes, having a, a decriminalized drug environment is way better, but you can also, I mean, even if you don't live in a state where weed is legal, you can go to Dream Market and buy weed. Um, and I mean, it's not like a super consumer friendly environment, but it's more consumer friendly than nothing. Um, yeah. So that that's yeah. my whole that's my whole spiel. Yeah. So that's well. my like crypto anarchist perspective. Yeah, that's great. Very well put. You know, I think a lot of people think about the new worlds that, you know, crypto could potentially create online. But I, what I liked about your piece was you're drawing attention to even before that might more importantly change the strategic calculus of actors in meat space in other yeah, words by creating by creating this exit opportunity it changes the here and now it changes what the dominant actors in the here and now can get away with and how they calculate mhm mm uh, i do owe that point to a guy called nick carter who's a i guess he's an investor now he's like a researcher and now and like i think he runs a fund with someone else i don't know it doesn't matter um he if you google him he'll come up he's really smart and he's written some interesting stuff about this yeah so this so is i, also I just want to give him credit cool yeah that's good i'll check it out for sure um this is maybe a good way to mention another question that people wanted me to ask you um mm -hmm. if you're are you a reader of, of Moldbug? do you know his kind of ideas around exit and are you, well first of all just are uh, you are you familiar um i am in some sense familiar with Moldbug. i kind of 
run in a lot of the same circles. I know a lot of people who have read a bunch of Moldbug and, and been very influenced by him. I know him personally, like his sort of normie identity, uh, and I would consider him a friend. I haven't actually read a lot of Moldbug because his blog posts are all like 7,000 times longer than they need to be. Um, in my, I'm a pretty impatient uh, media consumer in general. Like I hate 2001 a space odyssey that movie fucking blows because it nothing happens nothing happens okay but beside the point but anyway that's kind of how i feel about a lot of mold bugs writing where i'm like ah you need an editor uh, i have read so i've read some of his blog posts um especially some of the shorter ones and i don't know i, I don't have like any particularly well-developed feelings about his uh, general philosophy because I'm not actually that familiar with it. That's cool. Um, or yeah, I'm more familiar with it. Oh, how so? How awesome is Curtis IRL? Uh, he's pretty cool. I like him a lot. Um, and I think uh, so. I'm friends with a bunch of the people who work on Urbit, and they've I've had a good impression of all of them. I, they seem very interesting and thoughtful. I oh, had the someone. Good, sorry, I had the good ahead. fortune. I had the good fortune of meeting a few people who work at Urbit. They seem smart and cool. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. The reason, by the way, the reason people want to know what you think about Moldbug is because I think a fair number of my audience come via Moldbug because um, a few months ago, I made these like kind of silly like conspiracy theory videos that had a lot to do with Moldbug. And I think that brought a lot of Moldbug people. So that's why they're asking probably. But if you're not if you're not that familiar, um, there's no need. Oh, to interesting. Talk. We don't need uh, to talk I about it anymore if you don't want. I associate you more with Nick Land than with Moldbug, although I guess together they're sort of the progenitors of of NRX. I would say that like I know more sort of post NRX people. Like if you if you want to get into sort of ridiculous subcultural evolution, I'm super down for that. Do you want me to tell you the sort of how I came to the part of the internet that I'm part of? Go for it. If you're interested in that story, I'd love to hear it. Uh, so, I mean, as with anyone's kind of intellectual trajectory, I'm not going to be able to, it's not going to be a full explanation. It's kind of messy and goes back and forth at times. But basically, um, it's funny. I was, I was Googling for refutations of libertarianism because at that point I was a very sort of like normie lefty person. Um, and I came across Scott Alexander's anti-libertarian FAQ and I read it and I was like, wow, this is brilliant. And then concurrently, um, my then boyfriend, now fiance's roommate mentioned that he was a big fan of Slate Star Codex. So the combination of those things got me to read just a ton of Slate Star Codex. Um, I don't read his blog as religiously as I used to, but I think I've read like all of the Scott Alexander kind of greatest hits and it was hugely influential to me. Um, and then the other person who has that had the how most- long How long ago was that? like four years ish thereabouts. Uh, and then the other person who had that level of influence on how I think about things was actually Ben Thompson, who writes a tech tech business analysis blog called Stratechery, stratechery.com. Um, and basically like I, I learned kind of all the basics of microeconomics from him, like how businesses work, how supply and demand and competition, like how those dynamics affect things. Uh, and that actually also got me really interested in the tech industry. Um, anyway, that's the, so that those were sort of my two biggest intellectual influences. But so anyway, through Slate Star Codex, I got in a little bit into less wrong. I've never been a huge less wrong person because I find them kind of 
this is like, this is mean. And I kind of wish that I didn't have this reaction, but I get that like, you're kind of too earnest and dorky and I don't like it. That's like my reaction to less wrong. Um, I feel like they don't have, I don't know, like enough of a sense of humor or something. Uh, so it's like, I don't dislike rationalists and I definitely have friends who identify that way. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Like I've never, for example, I've never felt the way about Eliezer Yudkowsky that I do about Scott Alexander, who I have like kind of an embarrassing degree of like intellectual hero worship for. Um, so I read that and then I, I got into the sort of post-rationalist sphere, it's kind of hard to explain, but is is somewhat centered on Ribbon Farm, which is another blog, uh, and specifically Sarah Perry, who is a contributing editor to Ribbon Farm and then also just like fantastic, interesting, wise person. Uh, sorry, my dog is barking for no reason. Um, so through her, uh, I kind of, through her and through that sort of like clump of people, I got connected to the kind of Twitter, (laughs) we, we have a very cringy name for ourselves, which is just the in-group. And it's kind of like a bunch of people who are all mutuals on Twitter. Um, and yeah, so it's mostly post-rationalist, but then there's a smattering of like post-NRX or, um, anarcho insert thing here. Uh, and then, like, uh, I kind of stumbled into, like, accelerationists and frog Twitter through that. Um, and I guess, yeah, I don't I don't even know if there's a coherent label for this kind of incestuous clump of subculture. I don't know. You're part of it. So if you have a, a good description for this, I'd be interested. For which part? What What would you call the subculture that we're part of? Or actually, I don't know how much you identify with what I'm describing, so. Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating because I'm kind of just very intrigued by all by many of these subcultures. Like, basically everything you just described, I'm aware of it. I've kind of seen, I've, I've read some Ribbon Farm stuff. I get their drift. I, I've read, you know, plenty of Scott Alexander. Brilliant dude, obviously. I get his his angle and less wrong. Like, I, I'm sort of, I've read enough of all of the things you mentioned to have a finger on them, but I... I wouldn't say I I um, strongly identify with any of them, but I more I guess for me, my main interest is the whole ecology. I find it just so cool and interesting how there's all of this sorting going on right now, where people are kind of defecting from mainstream um, you know centers of attention, and then just finding people that they're aligned with temperamentally and intellectually and ideologically and they're just doing their own thing independently. And and these extraordinary, brilliant kind of subcultures are emerging. And I'm just, I'm, I guess if I have a interest, it's, it's that phenomenon as a whole. And I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm a kind of, um, I'm kind of a slut when it comes to these things. Like I, I'm just, I, I'm like a consumer of all of these and a big, a big fan. Like I'm a big booster of independent, of independence and like radical subcultural creativity and countercultural energy and so like, I'm just kind of into, I'm into the whole ecology. Um, I guess that's, that's one bit of background, I guess, or one way to describe it. But I guess um, a little bit more directly, I guess, like the stuff I've written that people that any, anyone at all like cares about or, or has read has to do more with like, I guess the accelerationist kind of um, mm-hmm. niche. Yeah, that's, I have yeah. you sort of mentally tagged as, as accelerationist adjacent. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm an academic social scientist. So for me, like, that kind of doesn't really fit into 
to any of these really like that's my kind of like everyday identity or whatever and so mm-hmm. um that kind of is like orthogonal to all to all of it but uh yeah i guess but then again i mean i without getting i don't want to talk too much about myself because you're the special guest here um but um i do i do a fair amount of i'm pretty good with like google analytics and stuff like that so i do like a pretty <laughs> good amount uh, i have a pretty good amount of data about like who reads my shit basically mm-hmm. um and i have pretty good reason to believe that um like that that's actually a pretty good way to parse out like where i'm located in the larger ecology is like who reads my shit you know and i'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure i'm pretty sure a good chunk come from the scott alexander kind of group um and then a good group yeah the the term you're looking for is rationalist diaspora where there was sort of this like less wrong and slate star codex clump that spread out in a lot of really interesting ways and then i get yes that's right that's right so i know i get some people kind of from that uh that that uh culture and then the other one would be yeah the accelerationist so like um I, i guess like to be honest people a lot of people know me i guess for um, like that lefty academic guy who reads Moldbug and Nick Land is, and like, is not afraid to write about how he likes them kind of, but I you think, know how yeah, yeah. you want to know how I first found out about you. It was definitely the necrophilia discourse. Oh yeah. People were like, look at this fucking guy talking about necrophilia. And I was like, I'm yeah. intrigued. <laughs> well, that was, that was like one of those ridiculous uh, moments that is exactly like the Robin Hanson affair of, of late. It's the same exact thing. It's like a, a uh-huh. pretty, I, I, at least I think it's like a pretty innocent thought experiment that like some journalist picks up and like they have to find stories. And so they'll oh, just, yeah, I totally like, concur. They're just trolling for outrage bait. They'll just see on seven. Yeah. Oh, I guess one other like signpost or marker would be I'm friends with um, uh, Jeffrey Miller and Diana Fleischman. They're evolutionary psychologists. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, didn't they also write for Jacobite? Yeah, I'm, uh, Diana did. I don't know if Jeffrey has. Yeah, the, the gynoids piece. It was really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'm friends with them and and they yeah, like we kind of I guess are associated with somewhat in some people's minds online. And uh they're so they're like evolutionary psychology and then also that's like effective altruism group. And there's yeah, a lot of yeah. there's a lot of overlap there with, with uh Scott Alexander, obviously. Um so yeah, Justin, that's do you yeah, consider yourself part of the intellectual dark web? Um, I'm pretty sure that's like a trademarked uh, label <laughs> that, um, according to the New York Times, uh, has a few has only a few select members. So, I'm not. <laughs> oh yes, according to the New York Times, extremely reliable when it comes to uh, the things that weird nerds are doing. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I say that I'm, with love. I'm definitely a weird nerd. No, no, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, I'm not like much. I don't. I'm not like a bottom feeder. You know, like I'm not like going to try to get into some like group that. I don't like I don't know those people. I, I've interacted a few times. I know, I, so I was just teasing you. I think the intellectual dark web is incredibly lame. Um, that's that's kind of my basic perspective on that. I mean, I'm, I'm generally sympathetic to like what those people like the larger kind of uh, cultural drift of what those people are trying to say and do. Like I'm, I'm definitely lean sympathetic towards that. I've interacted. Compl- a- I, yeah, no, sorry. Let me clarify what I meant. I completely agree with that. I tend to be pretty sympathetic to their grievances, although I think they over index on college campuses and it's i i don't know it's like the argument that like this is where the elite class is educated and they carry it forward into the rest of the culture yeah that's kind of true but also like college kids are just fucking stupid like this is universal um and it's just 
it's hard for me to care about what people who've willingly inserted themselves into academia, no offense, like, mm -hmm. what did you expect? So I guess I'm, uh, I'm torn between sympathy and derision there. Uh, but I also think the intellectual dark web thing is just incredibly cringy and has terrible aesthetics uh, and just, ugh. Um, although I will totally cop to having terrible like group identity aesthetics myself. So like they're free to make fun of me in return. Definitely. Well, I mean, the, the sad irony of the whole, of the whole thing is that there is definitely a massive intellectual dark web and it's this whole ecology. It's, it's every, it's everyone. Yes. The intellectual dark web is not fucking Jordan. Like if you actually take that seriously as a concept, it's not Jordan Peterson. Like you would have way more of a, you would have way more claim to that than he does. Um, and so would Moldbug. So would um, like the future primeval guys, or like, I guess Compbot has been kind of surfaced a little bit more to the mainstream level, or like, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> a Bronze Age pervert, although I, I hesitate to use the word intellectual there. I mean, he's doing some kind of like thought ideas thing but i feel like the word intellectual doesn't quite fit i don't know whatever no no um, it's, yeah it's true like there is definitely and and it's a really you know media worthy phenomenon as a whole like when you look at the ecology as a whole it's definitely a, a an extraordinary and profound thing that is going on right now there are a large number of people kind of breaking off on their own and doing really fascinating intellectual work in this larger ecology and it is a massive uh current kind of social political transformation that is underway. And so it's like, it's, you know, it, it, it's only a matter of time, of course, before, you know, journalists or whatever, like pick up on that and want to kind of describe it or characterize it. Yeah. So uh, the Baffler, a, yeah. the Baffler actually did a pretty good essay that was about Cody Wilson, who is the 3d, 3d printed guns is a meme. That's not a real thing. <laughs> um, or it's like, it's a real thing, but it's such a limited thing. I don't know. Sorry. Unrelated pet peeve. No, um, the Baffler, People wanted to hear you talk about that. So if you have a rant on that, go for it. I feel like if I do, then we'll we'll just like divert from what we were talking about, which I think is actually kind of inherently more okay. interesting. So I'll, I'd rather go I'll on with the... I'll remind you of that later so, and go on. Then. Okay. So yeah, the, the Baffler did a surprisingly good essay about this that talked about um, kind of the like uh, post NRX, post Dark Enlightenment, Frog Twitter... I feel like frog Twitter is a confusing term because then you also have the sort of like normie con uh, like reclamation of Pepe the Frog, whereas frog Twitter is much more like esoteric and weird and very like, uh, like what if you lift out the most like mystical elements of 4chan and put it on Twitter? That's frog Twitter. And I really find it fascinating and enjoy it. Uh, anyway, the Baffler did a good article on Cody Wilson that got into his connections to some of these like intellectual threads that we're discussing. Um, and I was really impressed. Like it was all very disapproving because, you know, it's the Baffler. Um, it is called the Baffler, right? Yeah, that's, that's the right. right. Name? Yeah, that's okay, right. Yeah. So it was all very condemnatory, but it wasn't stupid. And I feel like if we ever get, uh, hasn't, I, was it BAP who was quoted in like Waypo or something? Like there have been a few moments of surfacing to the like main, the mainstream media. Um, but I feel like if we ever get like a full Vox explainer or something, that's like, here's what frog Twitter means. Or like, here's why academic Justin Murphy keeps interviewing all these people who are related to Nick Land, or I think there actually have been a, a couple of really stupid takes on Nick Land in the, like, normal media. Um, 
or because of the mold bug, Steve Bannon, Peter Thiel, ostensible Trump connection thing, there's been a bit of writing about that. And most of it has been so bad. And I feel like if we ever get the like, uh, the kind of the, the new media, uh, the like that really, so the whole internet is just a battle between 4chan people and something awful people and the media, especially the sort of post Gawker. So there's also a Gawker diaspora and basically every new media, like think of Vox and then every other site that's like Vox, a bunch of people who used to work at Gawker work at all those places and have carried that ethos throughout. Um, oh, the outline being the worst of them. The outline is like, if you took all the bad parts of Gawker, but none of the funny biting sense of humor, and you were just like a scold and like an enemy of fun that, yeah, sorry. I hate the outline. <laughs> um, no, it's okay. So I just, I just think that them trying to cover this would be such a clusterfuck. It's just going to be like character assassination. Anyone who has their real, so I'm worried for myself, right? Like anyone who has their real name, like close to any of this is just going to get like skewered. Um, I'm in a pretty good professional position for something like that to happen because, I mean, the people I work with aren't stupid, so they're not going to fall for it, and they know what the media is like. Um, by the way, uh, anyone who didn't know, I used to be a journalist, and I'm hugely, uh, I have, because of that, I'm very, very bitter about the way the media industry works, and I think that it's like maybe unsavable, like maybe uh, the advertising definitely begets sensationalism but i'm not sure that even i mean so like the new york times substantially subscription uh supported still constantly uh does like gelman amnesia hit pieces on stuff that i know that they're completely fucking up and getting wrong right um so you yeah know i guess no that's all i have all good. i have all these cached rants that i'm kind of running into like i have my my 3d printed guns rant my like here's why i don't like the media anymore rant Dude, and i it, keep um accidentally triggering my rants and kind of losing whatever point i was actually trying to make but no it's great I guess it's great i need to be a less self-conscious live stream guest i'm so sorry everyone <laughs> no, no this is no. bad all right i'm getting no. in, i'm getting too meta it's say awesome. something it's awesome. This is the this is why live streaming is so fun. It doesn't matter. Like nothing nothing bad is going to happen to either of us for doing anything in any way we want. And mm, it's fun. in part because like no one who's not actually interested in this stuff is going to watch a live stream no, <laughs> or like really, a long video. It's really oh, true. Hi, like, ben. It's a crucial insight. I, I, I just um, recognized the name of someone I actually know. Cool. Nice. Oh, I know Ben. Sorry, he, I, I did a talk with Ben on here actually. Um, oh, cool. So you know, I feel so bad that like I have a bunch of friends who have interesting podcasts and are constantly like having other friends on their interesting podcasts. But I just really in general don't have the patience for podcasts, even if I speed them up. Um, when I used to commute, I would listen to a lot of podcasts because I was like doing something else. Um, it's impossible to keep some... up with. It's impossible to keep up with it all. And so, to be honest, like in some sense, the reason I'm doing all this stuff is in order to keep up with it. It's like, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't listen to all the things I'd like to listen to. I can't read all the things I'd like to listen to, but I can carve out like two spots each week to just pick someone's brain personally. Uh, and, and so it's like, it's actually, a, it's a, it's like a defense strategy. It's a coping strategy for, for all of it in some sense. I mean, you're probably one of the only people who is uh, documenting this well, what you were talking about, this sort of weird intellectual splintering, um, <clears throat> and like subculture, the, the proliferation of like weird political subcultures. Um, I'm not sure that anyone else is really 
documenting that in a way that isn't stupid. Um, yeah, well, so thank you. actually, yeah. one person who comes to mind is, do you know Adam Elkis? I think we've interacted before. I don't know him well, but yeah. Um, he's great on Twitter. He he like auto deletes his older tweets, which actually really annoys me because I always want to refer back to them. Um, but he is another person who watches this kind of stuff. I don't know if he's cataloging it in any way, though. But if he was interested, he would be a great person to have on your show. I don't I know if that's the kind of thing he would want to do, though. Yeah, I'll try him. I have a super I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll jot it down. Actually, I have a super long list of people um, to try, you know, so yeah, I, I can't even imagine that. I actually wanted get, to go back. Get I wanted, on. Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I'm talking with Compot. Um, he 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 said he would do it. We're we're planning it. We'll see. Oh good. He seems he seems a little busy. Like I don't know if it's gonna. I'm a little unsure if it's gonna follow through. I think I'm like he said he would do it, but then I'm waiting to hear. I think like I tried to make a date and uh, I'm I'm waiting here back. So we'll see. Compot, if you're out there, or people, if you like Compot, uh, harass him and tell him to respond to me. I'll get him on. <laughs> Um, I wanted to respond to one of the things you were saying before when, on your media rant, because Go for it. one of the, one of the intuitions behind all the stuff I'm doing. And by the way, I really appreciate that you, you really kind of get what I'm doing. Like the, what you just described was really cool because that's very much one of the key thoughts I've had behind all of this. And, uh, so I, pre- it's, it's always nice to be understood. I appreciate that. Um, but the, when you were talking about the media, something that I think people still, even radical people, even people who have already defected from the institutions, people on the internet doing interesting independent stuff, what a lot of people really still don't understand is how much this sort of like mainstream media, you know, legacy institutions, how much their actual influence is rapidly declining. Um, you know, like the a, a phrase that I've been kind of uh, thinking about this with that's keep that keeps recurring in my mind is that the cathedral is much shorter than most people think it is. You know, like I, what I find is that even people who are kind of like doing super fringy things, interesting on the internet, a lot of people still like can't help, but imagine that like, it really matters what the New York times says or does, you know, and you see this because the one way you see this come through is whenever there is a kind of mainstream journalist writes an article about one of these like little internet subcultures, (laughs) <laughs> oh, like the recent Wired take on exactly, like ecofascism. Exactly. That was exactly the episode that really crystallized this thought for me. Um, once that happens, once a mainstream journalist writes about one of these internet subcultures, everyone really treats it as if everyone pays attention. Everyone talks about it. Everyone really talks about it as if it matters. And you hear a bunch of like buzz about you know how you know what we need, to, what people should do on the internet better to like have these, you know, to, to get into the limelight in a better way. And like, you hear all this kind of uh, discussion and strategizing that really shows that like people actually still are looking to the mainstream media as if it's like really powerful. But when you look at the data on like how many people actually, um, you know, the actual quantities of influence that these different institutions have, it's, it's pretty pathetic, actually. Uh, like it's very, it's variable, you know, but um, like mm-hmm. an interesting, an interesting example that I've, I've had some interaction with the data on recently, which I'll share is the world of book publishing. Um, so like mm. I have a, I have, I have a book proposal that I'm kind of shopping around right now. So I've done a lot. Oh of my research. God. Self-published dude. Self-published. Well, You've so got we to. Can, so we can talk about this because listen, so I w- I've been doing all this research on, yeah, like the, the publishing market and, and how it works and stuff like that. And I actually have, I've brought together some data because I, when I was looking at it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I've saved the data and I, I'm going to write a blog post about this soon. Um, I think the title will be the cathedral is much shorter than you think it is. Because basically, like, if you look at the most successful authors, 
right now, um, like in the world, a surprising number of them are self-published. And you can make so much more money yeah. also. It's um, incredible. So yeah. Even the people, I know a few people who have gone the traditional publishing route lately. And um, the resources that they give you, like that the publisher offers to you are less than people seem to think. Like they're, they're editing. There's no guarantee that you're going to get good editing. You're basically going to get proofreading. Like you are really, like you have to be fairly high profile and they have to be really making a bet on you for you to get developmental editing. That's basically like you shouldn't expect that. Right. Um, you're not going to get fact checking. Books aren't fact checked unless the author pays for it separately, um, which I think is not as widely known as it should be. Mm. Um, and then also like the promotion stuff, you're going to have to do all of that yourself, too. Like if you want to have a book tier, a book tour, you have to arrange that. Um, and you have to pay for your travel, like all of that stuff that you would kind of imagine would come with the uh, traditional route does not. Uh, so you have and you have someone like Bronze Age Pervert. Uh, I don't know his ex exact sales numbers, but he is killing it. Like and he's I, I would love to know how much money he exactly made. I don't know. Is that something you've looked into at all? Because there are ways to measure it. Yeah, it's so funny you said that because it's almost like I paid you uh, before we talked to propose this question because it just so happens. I've organized the data on precisely that question and I'm, I've am i been saving it for a blog post that I want to write, but I can, I can tease people with it right now. So basically what you can do folks is you can estimate how much money a book makes from its Amazon sales rank because there's lots of data on that. And so people have made calculators and apparently I found one that claims to be within like a 5% margin of error. Um, and so as an exercise, I looked to, I did some estimates basically. And so if you look at BAP, the, the Bronze Age Pervert book, the um, according to this calculator, and by the way, lots of caveats. I don't know how true this is. I'm sure there's like some error. There are some, it's, you know. It's probably lossy. Like I'm sure the margin of error is big, yeah. but it's also probably directionally at yeah, least useful. Yeah. yeah, 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 sure. It's going to be like, uh, you, you can't trust it totally, but the quantities that it gives are pretty stunning. If it's even close to accurate and it claims to be within a 5% margin of error, these are incredible numbers. So basically, um, you know, the bat book itself, according to this calculator, you know, the guy's not like filthy rich off of it, but compared to the the real um, shocker is when you actually do this calculator with books that you think are famous, super influential, big books. That's where the shocker comes in. So take and us a this, base. This circles back to your point yeah. about the cathedral, which I would like to respond to in more depth after you finish. Sure. Yeah, we definitely can. So um, the, according to this calculator, the bat book um, has made... It makes about $1,300 per month, um, according to the to the calculator that I found. Um, and it came out in, I think it was June uh, 18th. So, yeah. Um, well, and I, also, uh, it, sh uh, it was one of the funny things that happened, like, immediately after it came out was, like, top of the, like, ancient history ranking. <laughs> like, right. uh, it really kind of shot up the Amazon charts. Um, so, sorry, I was looking, you... yeah, I was looking for comparison titles, you know, because... Everyone has it in their mind that like, you know, if you want to make a, if you want to have an impact with a book, you know, you got to get a good publisher. Um, and, you know, people, people still imagine that. Like, for instance, like my buddy, uh, Mike McCrumps, uh, who uh, I talked with on this, I saw he was tweeting about the, the Pine Tree Twitter article. And, mm -hmm. you know, he wrote some tweets that, you know, were basically saying like how he was like, one day I want to like write about accelerationism and, and, and like do this type of like legit, um, you know, article, uh, but do it justice. It was something to that effect. 
And mm-hmm. it's an it's another just example of a lot of, of what I see around a lot, which is like people, even people on the fringes, still talking as if to have an impact, you have to kind of like climb the ladder and you have to like get a deal with a publisher or something like that. So listen to this. So um, the first test I did was I wanted to look at like Verso, the radical left publisher um, in London, um, which like anyone who's a lefty considers Verso to be like at the top of the game. It's like a if you're like a lefty, <laughs> it's like yeah i know lol yeah so i but i didn't even re- i didn't realize like how incredibly tiny they are um oh so I, so I looked, yeah so <laughs> i looked so funny yeah it, no it's, it's hilarious like i tried to find a book that came out about the same time as bronze age pervert and by someone who like on the left is like very famous so like it would be a good test case um and so uh i, I found a recent book that came out a few months ago by uh chantal Mouf, who's like a very famous socialist theorist academic very well respected her name carries a lot of weight in leftist circles. Um, and so the kicker here is that in when you publish a book with a publisher, you only make 15% of the sales. So that when you keep that in mind, um, and that's on what, Amazon, your cut can, is it like if your price is between two ninety nine and nine ninety nine, you get like 70%, something around there. It's, it's like between yeah. 60 and 75%. Yeah. Like I said, um, there, might, there might be complications like that. So take all the, this is back of the, back of the envelope, back of the napkin kind of calculations, but I did for her book and um, it came out about the same time as the bat book. And it's made a total of $260 profit uh, <laughs> per, per month. <laughs> Per month, but it's only been out for um, like only a little bit over a month. So uh, I don't even like BAP that much, and this still gives me so much joy. Like yeah, I love and, seeing the yeah. And if I, you st- if you stipulate that she made fifteen percent of that amount, she so far has made uh, around thirty nine dollars per month for that book. And this is top of the hierarchy radical left theorist with the top mm-hmm. of the hierarchy radical left cathedral publisher. Um, in London. See, the and, thing is, like that, her her publishing that book, like I'm sure she knew that she wasn't going to make any money on it. Sure, Those are like yeah. that's like prestige. Um, well, so okay, this let me let me explain this in terms real, of what you real were quickly, th- just so oh, I yeah. don't have to belabor this. Let me just give you one mm-hmm. more example, and then you can oh, yeah, you go for it. Go to town. And then, so then I'll do what? one of my cashed rants. Yes, good. Save up your energy. So this is just so I don't have to bore people by forcing us back to this conversation. Real quick, mm-hmm. so. I, I was like, okay, what is like a good example of like the most famous book you can imagine right now? You know, um, that's like the most cathedral approved um, kind of like prestige book that you can imagine. Oh God. Right now. Is it a Hillary uh, Clinton book? Well, to compare, to compare, I was just kind of like racking my imagination for what would be a good comparison in that sense. Right. As determinate negation says in the public chat, these are extremely different kinds of books. So it's not a good comparison, admittedly. So I'm like, okay, what's like an even harder comparison? Um, I could have done 12 rules for life, but that was published much longer ago. So that kind of messes up the calculations. Um, I did, I looked at Steven Pinker's enlightenment now. Um, you know, he's been like, he's at the absolute top of the game. His name is probably like, it's been more famous than Jordan Peterson's for a long time. And he's been like on every cathedral approved mainstream, like media stop imaginable. And if you look at that book, basically according to this calculator, um, that um, makes about uh, 13,000 a month, which is a lot for sure, like way more than BAP. So I said BAP makes, the BAP book makes 1,300 a month. Stephen Pinker makes 13,000 a month totally, but that's not Pinker, that's the book. Okay, so when you take into, the, when you take into account the fact that um, he's probably only getting 15% of it, 
that means that Steven Pinker makes about 2000 a month on enlightenment now. And so that's only, a, that's less than double what bat makes a month. So mm-hmm. in, so this is like my point, like many people would think surely Steven Pinker is light years above BAP in terms of influence, in terms of number of books read, in terms of money made. You would think he's like orders of well, magnitude, all, but he's yeah, not. All he's, of that is probably still true though. Um, because yeah, Stephen sure. Pinker does ways. have orders of magnitude, more prestige and optionality. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I mean I'm not like, playing that down at all, but my point is just whatever people have in their head of how big that difference is, that mental model of the difference, I believe, is much larger than the actual difference is my main point, I think. Oh, yeah. Think so the, true. the thing that I uh, keep wanting to say is actually, um, I'm, gl- I'm glad that you pushed through and said that because it's a, it's better as a response to that than it, yeah. anyway. Um, so I think you can look at the way what you were talking about, how the internet has kind of eroded the power of these like mainstream elite institutions. Um, you can apply this equally to news orgs, magazines, and book publishers. So I'm just going to speak in generalities. Um, what they have, what they, what gives them power is prestige and elite cultural capital. A lot of which is underpinned by literal friendships. Like everyone who works. Uh, everyone who works at like a DC think tank knows everyone else who works at a DC think tank. Everyone who works in New York media like knows everyone. There's a huge amount of like network effects that are uh, that's underpinning this, um, and that can be like a little bit invisible from the outside before you get into it. This and this is for the record like true of every single industry. It's not just a like uh, infotainment thing. Um, so when you look at what makes them powerful, one of it is one aspect of it is that like elite cultural capital the sort of like you know the the new york times is considered like the prestige newspaper like we are the thing that everyone reads it's it's like a cultural shelling pointness uh is a big part of what they have and then on top of that they have distribution networks so they meet they are able to just reach a lot of people and the thing that the internet has done is made those distribution networks available to everyone so if you look at like um, say Jordan Peterson gets like a ridiculous amount of YouTube traffic. Uh, I mean, even I doubt that you get as much traffic as Jordan Peterson, but something like this, like a, a mainstream publishing organization would not let you do this, but you're able to do it on your own and get probably more reach than you would if you were like, I don't know, attached to Vox or something. Um, yeah, probably in the end. Yeah. Uh, and you also have so much more control, like you have a much more direct relationship with your audience than you would if you were like mediated by this kind of sanctioning org and and needed to tap into their distribution networks. Um, actually, so you know how there's the whole like ebooks merchant thing um, that gets, I, I think it's a, tends to be more associated with kind of like Cernovich, that kind of like right person um but it applies across the political spectrum like bap is literally now an ebooks merchant um that uh that gives you the distribution and the influence on people independently and i think what we're going to see happen is that increasingly as um oh actually celebrities are a great example of this celebrities figured out like oh we don't actually need to go through the gossip magazines anymore i can just post my shit on instagram and all my fans will see it anyway and uh, now you have, I mean, it's kind of, it's like how cable news talking heads will literally just be like, here's a tweet on the screen. And now we're all going to comment on this yes. tweet, uh, yes. like two hours after everyone on Twitter has already seen it. You have the same thing with celebrity that's, gossip, where it's really like, revealing. Instagram yeah. Post. Uh, yeah, it's the exact same dynamic. And you see it happen over and over again in all these different spheres. Um, 
So you, they, they still have all this prestige and all this kind of sanctioning capital within the like coastal elites uh, sphere. Um, basically, like if your your life is such that you can care about status games more than anything else, you still care a lot about. Or, and you can care about sort of mainstream status games because uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to claim that like you and I aren't playing a status game right now. Um, but as we see the like uh, the distribution infrastructure and and just like uh, as we see the sort of independent or dissident entertainers, writers, etc., build up more of their own kind of distribution inertia for lack of a better term i think we're going to see prestige get sucked away also and this I think is we're kind already of, seeing it absolutely yes it's totally happening and actually like as much as i like to make fun of the intellectual dark web they've done kind of a masterful job of like um they have like a brand name as a movement which i find annoying but apparently a lot of people uh it's useful or like say a uh, quillette great example of this mm -hmm. um or aereo and kind of the other you know that like that sphere um or like uh oliver Traldi, i think is um kind of an up-and-comer who i could see like i i sort of hate pundits on principle and i know he wants to do like academic philosophy stuff which i also kind of hate um so i hope he doesn't do either of those things but at least like at least it would be someone like him someone who's like smart and an independent thinker as opposed to fucking like Thomas Friedman and everyone on the New York Times op-ed board, which is like, and it's I, it's funny watching the New York Times kind of try and scramble to cope with this uh, because they just push themselves like further into irrelevance in this somewhat hilarious way. Um, and oh, so, so what I was saying, and then you were agreeing with me or you were saying that it's already happening. And I, I think you can make an accelerationist case for this is that as the as people cotton on to like, you can reach people independently, you can have a viable career as an intellectual or as a writer independently um, without needing to kowtow to these remaining institutions, we're gonna see the prestige get siphoned off more and more and more. Uh, and I think it's already happening, like you said, and will continue to happen. Um, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I am, I don't know. I feel like there are definitely ways in which it could be bad. And we're going to see like alternative power structures build up that will have their own flaws. Um, like, I don't know, you need to go on Joe Rogan's podcast or otherwise you're not like legit or something bullshit like that. Um, actually that's probably to some extent already true in the like intellectual dark web sphere. Right. Um, right. And that, yeah, that's why it's unfortunate to see in this kind of like independent, countercultural internet digital uh space to see the same kind of like structures replicating themselves so you now have gatekeepers because you now have like people who are trying to kind of like claim that they are the leaders of this like large internet kind of renaissance you know so it's like mm -hmm. you will see i mean i think this always happens with all subcultures all countercultures yes. you always see this with all countercultures like there will like a, a status hierarchy will emerge and there will emerge gatekeepers within the the, the larger ecology that is breaking, mm -hmm. breaking down the gates, there will be new gates emerging. And yeah, you'll see all of that. Of course, it just is, is fairly natural. 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's just how these th- it's how the power relationships <laughs> and how the it's how human nature plays out. Like yes, this is just what but, human communities do. But so I, the attention economics of the internet add an interesting dynamic, though, where you're it's it's going to be a power law thing where you're going to have like a few people who have huge reach, and then you have like a few people who have moderate reach and are able to kind of like get by okay, and then you're going to have this very long tail of people who are making like from zero to $200 a month on, I mean, we already see this on YouTube, on um, Patreon, even like, I, I think that dynamic is, right. well, I think just you're, kind of fundamental. Yeah, that's definitely right. There always will be power laws in this sort of thing. But well, I think what we are, I think the accelerationist argument here, and I think this is really important, um, because a lot of people who are interested in these themes, have their own independent intellectual projects with blogs and Twitter and stuff like that. So that's why I think this this cuts really close to the uh, to the heart because um, this actually what we're talking about having an accurate model of what's happening here actually really does inform the choices that you me and people actually listening to this should make and the calculations people should make about where they invest their efforts. That's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this. And one the the really interesting accelerationist uh, inroad to this uh, conversation we're having right now to me is that you're right there will be power laws. But I think we're also seeing we're going to see a, a increasing flattening of of the distribution in, in the sense that mm. in the sense that um, like right now, for instance, as soon as sort of this like large Internet digital ecology kind of reached a certain uh, critical mass, you get something like a new kind of gatekeeper movement emerges like the new formal intellectual dark web, for instance. So that's Quillette, a, Quillette is just, a great example of this. Well, Sorry. Just, keep, me, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Let me just finish the, the thought real quick. Um so like that's a natural tendency for a kind of new status hierarchy and gatekeeper to emerge, but it's relatively flatter than, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post or whatever. And so, but that's just like one, that's one slice of time. In the next slice of time, all of the people who, you know, for time constraints can't get on fucking Joe Rogan, will it will be in their interest to just do what I'm doing or do what, you know, do their own thing basically. And, and here's the, the real, I think, empirical insight as to why this will happen is because each layer of flattening will be caused, I think, by finer tuned sorting, basically. So Mm -hmm. like of the millions of people who watch Joe Rogan, there are thousands of more specific refined um, sub communities within all of that. And so like, if you can't get on Joe Rogan, what you can do is you can think about, well, what is a slice of this massive audience that Joe Rogan is watching that aren't currently getting from Joe Rogan what they want because it's just too broad and you make that new thing. And in that, in that incentive, then in the next period, there's a bunch of kind of sub Joe Rogans, right. Um, giving more refined audiences more precisely what they love. And you're, I think you're going to see that iterate over time more and more in an accelerating fashion. And I think you're going to see an extraordinary kind of flattening, um, uh, in in the digital space, there will always be power laws, but there can be more um, niche sub markets characterized by those power laws. I I roughly agree, although I I have pretty low certainty on exactly what the landscape will look like after this process plays out. But I do agree, and I think we've already started seeing this in the business sphere that you can either. Um, I mean, the startup world illustrates this very well. You can either you can take on venture capital and try to be sort of the, the high end of the power law and address like the hugest possible market, or you can be very niche and you can appeal to a very specific sub- subsegment 
um, harvest a lot more value per customer or per yeah. like person who's part of your sphere. Um, and there are lots of independent software entrepreneurs who are doing this with a very niche product. Uh, and so, yes, I agree. And I think yeah. that the sort of subcultural proliferation that we were talking about earlier, it um, backs up your thesis. Uh, I also think, um, I, d I do want to say something that's maybe slightly orthogonal about using Quillette as an example. Sure. We're also going to see rebundling. And I think you can look at like, here are all these sort of dissident uh, bloggers who are kind of rebelling against the the orthodoxy of, of lefty academia. And a lot of these people are just like publishing on WordPress blogs or like yelling at each other on Reddit or Twitter or whatever. And then Claire Lehman comes in and pulls them all together and she makes this thing that has cultural cachet among these people. So they all want to publish there. Um, and that's a rebundling. Uh, I don't like, I don't think Quillette is particularly financially successful, although I don't actually know exactly what their operating costs are. I have no idea if they pay anybody. Um, I feel like maybe they pay a few editors or something, but not like a lot of people. Um, but I think she's been remarkably successful at uh, getting at, at pulling some prestige and getting actually getting some endorsement from certain uh, sort of like normie mainstream prestige icons. Usually it's individual people. I don't think she's been, you know, she hasn't been broadly endorsed, but uh, that's an example of this dynamic playing out with a sort of new, an institution that's making a bid to be a new iteration for this kind of sub-segment. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to give you a chance to respond to that and then I should probably take off and do my actual job and stuff. But what do you, is yeah, there anything sure. you want to make sure to discuss in closing? Oh, well, I don't want to over, over tax you. So if you have to go, that's totally cool. Um, there were yeah, some I have like other, 10 more minutes. You have 10 more minutes. Okay, cool. Well, there were some, uh, questions that I said I would try to get to. So, um, actually we covered almost all of them. Um, oh, good. We could talk about the 3D printing guns thing, I guess. We touched on it a couple of times. It didn't go into yeah. very much depth. We basically touched on, we at least touched on every question that I have on the list. Um, but basically the they were, you could either, I'll give you a choice, whatever you're most interested in. Um, would you like to talk more about 3D guns and the NRA? I guess we didn't talk about the NRA. I don't know what exactly. The phrase 3D guns is hilarious. It keeps coming up because people are just like shorthanding. But oh, I yeah, I wrote it in my notes and then I said it literally. I, didn't... <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. No, it's just uh, funny to me. 3D guns. Um, you can talk about that if you want. Or um, do you want to quickly say, do you have a prediction for the next season of The Bachelor? Someone asked this. I don't know anything about The Bachelor. <laughs> um, I, I could make a wild prediction. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel super qualified to talk about the guns thing, but I'm more qualified to talk about that than I am to talk about The Bachelor. Or um, would you like to talk more about uh, DNS? And do you have like a take on the future of DNS? You mm, mentioned it, you mentioned it, but I don't know if you wanted to say more. I do, but I feel like I'll fuck up the details if I try to talk about it without having like the Wikipedia fridge in front of me. So I, I'll, I'll do guns. Let's do guns. Okay. Um, so the thing, the thing is that like the media coverage of this whole Cody Wilson defense distributed thing has been absolutely horrifically stupid. Um, for one thing, manufacturing your own gun has like, it is legal, very straightforwardly has always been, and has not been at issue in any of the legal cases that Cody has gone through. What the state was challenging was his right to distribute the schematics, basically the schematics and machine code for, um, 
really actually more than 3D printing, CNC milling. CNC milling is way more relevant to uh, this this sort of like dissident crypto anarchist uh, Second Amendment movement than 3D printing. 3D So that's why I said 3D printing is a meme. There's like one design for a 3D printed gun that you can shoot one. It's like, it's not, it's not good. No one is doing it. No one is using it because you can just make your own better gun. Um, and, and it's not that hard to do. It's not like relative to other kind of home manufacturing. It's not even particularly expensive. So that's been driving me kind of crazy is that people keep talking about 3d printed guns when really have like the, the 3d printed guns thing is just like, it's a tag that's been attached to Cody Wilson's name. Um, and, but it's really not, I think it's gotten to the point where it's kind of misleading almost to talk about him as the 3d printed guns guy anyway. So he, he got the state department to kind of back down and be like, yes, okay. Everything you've been trying to do is legal and we've been overstepping our bounds. And they even paid some portion of his legal bills. So I don't think it was everything. Uh, and then you have all these. And so he puts up uh, Defense Distributed, uh, or I think it's like defcad.com.org. I can't remember. Um, but, you know, he has like these schematics on his website. It's not even that much. Oh, and so another aspect of this is that all of this shit is accessible online anyway. Um, like there's you can you can get it on the dark web. You can get it on like BitTorrent. And you don't even have to use either of those things because they're like random manufacturing websites that have like long PDFs or whatever. So the State Department's argument that like this is a unique threat and terrorists will be able to access the schema for handguns, which is also like, have you heard of patents? Like there are patents, there are expired patents for tons of guns that are easily accessible. So it's like the idea that Cody was doing something unique. He had unique branding and that's why they targeted him is because he had this sort of radical um, and very, very like persuasive and effective message, and that freaked them out. And so that's why they targeted him. And now all the now that the State Department caved and Defense Distributed is live, all of these attorneys general are freaking out about it and trying to get it shut down, which is so transparently uh, like against the First Amendment. And they're all just going to get fucked over. And it really uh, makes me, but it makes me extremely mad that they are wasting taxpayer money. On this base, you know, so I, I think the word virtue or the term virtue signaling is overused as a cudgel because everything is signaling like and the the idea, the original idea of virtue signaling did not describe intent. It didn't mean that you were being disingenuous. It just meant that like the way you were talking at least had the function of demonstrating your like in-group membership. Um, but I really, to use it in the sort of now mainstream way of like, you're just being fucking ridiculous for, for political points is all of these, uh, attorneys general are, they cannot be stupid enough to think that they're going to win the legal battle. So I think it's just sort of like, I have to do this because there've been these, these mass shootings and, you know, I need to demonstrate my sort of like Democrat cred. Um, and that really annoys me. Like it, it just, it makes me angry as someone who is like very passionate about the first amendment and someone who kind of leans libertarian and thinks that the government wastes a lot of money and resources all the time. And, uh, one of my frame, my refrains is everything about government is like this. So I look at the, the attorneys general, like doing this masturbatory exercise. And to me, I feel like everything about government is like this. They want to curtail your rights, but they're also incompetent morons, um, which is like just a terrible combination. Um, 
Now, but now, see, now that I've said all of that, I feel like I'm being uncharitable and eliding a lot of nuance. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That's inevitable. That's inevitable. Don't worry about that. That was good. I thought that was a good rundown because I don't actually know that much about 3D printed guns and Cody Wilson's story. But a lot of people actually, I guess, in my the people that listen to this stuff have actually sent me stuff about him. So mm. um, actually, I have this like little Discord server centered around kind of the, these shows and stuff like that. And one uh-huh. of the one of the things that um, that's been like a, a point of discussion, actually, the the Cody Wilson controversy. But I actually haven't been able to read that much about it. I've just been busy. Um, Look so you, into it more and have him on the show. He's a super interesting guy. You gave. Uh, oh, is he is he would he be game to do, to, to do this kind of thing? Like small, small fry YouTuber? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I'll add, I'll yeah. add him to, to my extremely long list. Um, your endless list. Yeah. So um, um, I just want to basically thank you for such a fun and spirited conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was fun. Um, thank you, you, audience. Did you have fun? For... Did you enjoy it? I did have fun. I mean, I I like talking to people and it's it's nice to, you know how you were saying earlier that you felt like I described you kind of like that I described the things you were interested in. Well, I kind of feel the same way and vice, ver- vice versa, that it's just, it's nice to talk to someone who gets it and who like actually knows who is to some extent like embedded in these communities and has like firsthand experience with them. Um, because then it enables you to have just a much more interesting conversation about it. So I appreciate that. Cool. Well, that's and, very kind of you. I, I had a good feeling that you and I would uh, get off just fine talking uh, about any random things, even though we don't know each other very well at all. But I feel like I know um, you. I, I know you kind of decently now. <laughs> yeah, come to the come to the Bay Area and hang out with me. Well, also, next time, um, next time I'm around, I'll definitely reach out. I will. I will extend that audience uh, that um, invitation to your audience. Also, like if you're in the Bay Area, I'm usually pretty down to meet internet strangers. So, DM me on Twitter or like send me an email or something. And you don't have to dox yourself. You can just be like, "Hi, I, I, I would <laughs> be worried. I've come across you. <laughs> I'd be worried about giving that invitation to my audience. We have some oh, uh, really? dubious freaks out there. I think." <laughs> no. Yeah, there was someone who was like posting the 14 words. I don't want to hang out with you. The rest of you, the more normal ones, I'll hang out with you. I think they were probably trolling. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's kind of par for the course. I think All I've right, been pretty. Well... Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your time. And this has been fun. And let's stay in touch, shall we? Yes. All right. We'll I'll do. let you go then. Okay. See you later, Sonia. Talk thanks to again. you later. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Thanks Bye. again. You were awesome. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.